Hello, you are listening to the Bethel Atlanta Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about Bethel Atlanta, visit www.bethelatlanta.com. We are a tribe of giant slayers, aren't we? This is our Christian recreation. You know, David modeled for us messing with the head of the enemy when he went ahead and cut it off and then picked it up and walked around with Goliath's head. You want to see what I did? You want to see what I did? You know, uh, Jesus went about doing good, destroying the works of the devil. He went about doing good, destroying the works of the devil. And, you know, the, the giants we slay uh, become trophies in heaven. And I, I had a vision one time where Jesus led me into this room, and there were all these giant heads uh, on the wall. And this would only be appealing to me in the spirit, because um, <laughs> if you've ever been to my house, it's, it's white, it's simple, it, none of that. And I, 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 walk, I was walking through the, through the trophy room, and uh, you know, he was talking to me about inheritance and how the, the fathers and mothers who go before us that true legacy is not creating a life where I never have to fight my own giants. True legacy is I have a trophy room that I can walk the next generation into and teach them what giants are for. Because to take away the joy of becoming a giant slayer, that just wouldn't be nice. It wouldn't be nice. And eliminating resistance, eliminating the fight, eliminating the struggle um, would invite a generation to live below what they were created for. But true legacy, true momentum is I, I, can, I can pull a head off the wall and say, hey, come feel this. This is your future, baby. This is what you were born for, to watch uh, the enemy of God fall, the enemy who taunts your good, beautiful, powerful God, he, he is here to fall at the sound of your voice. So that's who we are. That's who we are in this generation. And when we hear the taunting all around us, it calls to the warrior on our insides. This is what I was born for. And you being here on this planet, in this room, in this city, in this nation, for such a time as this, has been divinely orchestrated by a good father. And the earth is groaning all around us. And they're groaning for the sound of sons, the sounds of daughters to erupt on the earth. Because it's only in sonship that the father is revealed. 
And the Father is the healing balm to every aching cry. The, the Father is the, the solution to every empty place in every craving soul. So we're going to just look this morning. Um, let's start in John 1. And we're going to look at, start in verse 15. I'm going to read a few verses. John 1, 15. John taught the truth about him when he announced to the people, he's the one. Set your hearts on him. I told you he would come after me even though he ranks far above me. For he existed before I was even born. And now, out of his fullness, we are fulfilled. And from him, we receive grace heaped upon more grace. Moses gave us the law, but Jesus, the anointed one, unveils truth wrapped in tender mercy. No one has ever gazed upon the fullness of God's splendor except the uniquely beloved son, who is cherished by the Father and held close to his heart. Now he has unfolded to us the full explanation of who God truly is. <laughs> Out of his fullness, we are fulfilled. It, Ephesians says, we are filled with the fullness of God. And you know, it's, it is okay to come to Jesus without any of your own fullness. You can come to Jesus 100% empty today, this morning. And out of his fullness, you can be filled. And, you know, I read a quote this week that said... Um, the greatest gift you can ever give your children is your own happiness. And you, you were born again and laid on the chest of a father who is wildly happy. He, he is the very definition of joy. He is the source. We, Vanessa was singing about it this morning. That he actually needs nothing from you to be full on the inside. He actually needs nothing from you to be beside himself in joy. The Godhead is the most happy visual aid I have ever seen to define joy. And, you know, they are not careless. It, it is not a, a happiness and a joy that is avoiding reality. It is a joy that is so sufficient in their awareness of what Jesus won of what Jesus fulfilled, that there is nothing lacking in the gospel. There is nothing lacking 
for you to walk in fullness today, right here, right now, because your father is full. And, you know, uh, when, you, when you are upset and in a frenzy, when you are anxious, when you, when you have a lot of chaos on the inside of you, your father is full. Your, your father comes to you, scoops you up, and gives all that anxiety, all that chaos a place to rest. And, you know, so much of shame uh, wants to tutor us in figuring it all out ourselves so we can come to the Father. Figure it all out on yourself. Fix up all those weaknesses, all the crazy thinking that's happening so you can see Jesus. And the very invitation of the gospel was echoed in the Psalms when it says, those who look to him are never covered in shame. That the starting point of being delivered from what's tormenting you is looking to him. Looking to him right where you are in this very moment. And I love this part. Uh, the ESV says he's full of grace and truth. The, the Passion Translation says he unveils truth wrapped in tender mercy. And everywhere Jesus went, he would find people in their truth. He would find people in their real life experience and draw them to him, himself, the truth, the answer, Jesus. And just a couple chapters over in John 4 uh, is the story of the woman at the well. And it is a beautiful picture of Jesus uh, being full of grace and truth, of unveiling truth wrapped in a tender mercy. And, you know, he, Jesus uh, goes and he tells his disciples, you, you go on ahead of me. They were going to get lunch and go for a walk to get some lunch. And he goes to a well and a woman comes to draw water. You remember this? It's one of our favorite stories. And he starts talking to her, which, which was shocking to her right off the bat because um, he didn't have any of those, like, don't talk to women alone rules. <laughs> don't go in an elevator alone with a woman. Thank the Lord, because that would be a lot of the human population left untouched by the gospel if Jesus couldn't be alone with a woman. And, uh, and he... He already is shattering her paradigm of worth by engaging with her in a private conversation. And he starts talking to her, uh, give me a drink of water, and, you know, they banter back and forth. You can read it if you're not familiar with the story. And um, 
he says to her, um, well, go call your husband and bring him back here. And, and she says, well, I'm not married. And uh, he says, you're right. You're not married. You've been married five times, and the man you're currently with is not your husband. And then he says, you told the truth. I'm like, well, that was a very gracious. <laughs> I'm like, you left out a lot of details by saying I'm not married. And then he goes through the whole truth and puts a bow on it. Good job, you told the truth. <laughs> and this story is so profound to me because he called out all the places where she was living with a ton of shame in a society, especially then, um, who, you know, would call sin, sin. And she, she is so deeply transformed by feeling seen in her sin, by feeling seen in her brokenness, by feeling seen in her wounded cycles, that she goes and tells everybody, he told me everything I've ever done. Like, this was, this was her gospel track that she handed out door to door. He told me all my sins, all of them. And that whole city ends up getting radically saved and coming to Jesus. Jesus stays with them for two days. And the testimony, you know, the people, when you look at the story, said they first were just believing because of her testimony that Jesus told her her sins. Jesus was able to see and articulate her broken, destructive patterns. And this testimony, do it again, Lord, do it again, Lord, set an entire city free. Now, this is, this is the thing about the light of the world, is when he comes and sits by you, all of you illuminates. This is the light of the whole world. And when he comes and stands beside you, the things uh, you're aware of, the things you're not aware of, your strengths, your weaknesses, your successes, your sins, uh, the things you're doing in secret that you're proud of, the things you're doing in secret that you're not proud of. When the light of the world steps into your space, it all illuminates. And the only way, this is such good news that an entire city gets saved, is because all of that truth is wrapped up in mercy that says, I want you like this. I choose you like this. You've had five husbands, come be a worshiper. Do you wanna know what a true worshiper is? It's not about a hill. It's not about a religious ceremony. It's about your heart. That the worshipers the Father is looking for 
the ones the Father's seeking, just like I sat here at this well seeking you, are those that are full of spirit and truth that you can illuminate without shame as much as I illuminate. You be the city on the hill. To be the city on the hill, you got to have stuff wrong with you. To need a Messiah, you've got to have some bondage you needed to be set free from. To need a redeemer from the curse, you got to be aware there's curses living in me that are about to get set free. And for a broken city to rejoice in that message, you got to receive the truth that sets you free. He told me everything I ever did. And he was still smiling at me. He told me everything I ever did. And he invited me to be a worshiper. You know, Bill Johnson says, God is not looking for worship. He's looking for worshipers. He's looking for consecrated altars that know they need a God. <laughs> that know everything going on in here, without a Messiah, without a Redeemer, I do not live. And to truly have chains lifted above our heads, we need the truth. We need the truth. We need a king who sees my sin, who sees my wickedness, who sees my torment, who sees the curses that I was born into that have been handed down from generation to generation and calls me to himself. He, he doesn't call me to a program, even though I might need that. I've, I've done some of that. He doesn't first call me uh, you know, to six spiritual keys to walk in freedom. Although I needed, I needed all six of them. I still need all six of them. The first place of invitation in the gospel. Come worship. Come be a worshiper. Come worship in the Holy Spirit and in truth. You're invited. And, you know, she, she goes through this story, and she's like, this is crazy. What? You know, and she, the Bible says she was confused. And so she says, well, I know the Messiah's coming. And when he comes, he's going to make all this make sense. And look what, look what he says to her. Let's just look at it. We need to hear it today. This, this is still true. This is all so confusing, but I do know that the anointed one is coming, the true Messiah, and when he comes, he will tell us everything we need to know. So I can just shelf everything you just said. And Jesus said to her, you don't have to wait any longer. The anointed one is here speaking with you. I am the one you're looking for. 
this is the news we need to wake up to every morning. Jesus is here. Jesus is here. Of all the things we will wait for in this life, the presence of the Father is not one of them. Jesus is not one of them. The Holy Spirit is not one of them. The Godhead this morning is here looking for you. I am he. I'm here now. And, you know, the, the disciples come in in that moment and it's so funny because it says none of them had dared to ask why or what they were discussing. He's talking to a woman. <laughs> Shoulders back, ladies. Shoulders back. Jesus loves to talk to men and women. You know, there was a long time that wasn't a revelation. We're living in a good hour of human history. And um, listen, then, then she runs off to tell everyone what just happened. And uh, the disciples insist on giving Jesus some food. And uh, he says, don't worry about me. I got a whole well of fullness inside of me. I have a whole source on the inside of me. I've got food you don't know about. I've already eaten a feast you don't know about. And, um, and the disciples are like, somebody brought him food. Who brought him food? Somebody took our job. Uber Eats, Uber Eats came with Jesus by the well. And Jesus spoke up and said, my food is is to be doing the will of him who sent me and bring it to completion. And as the crowds emerged from the village, Jesus said to his disciples, why would you say the harvest is another four months away? Look at all the people coming. Now is harvest time. For their hearts are like vast fields of ripened grain ready for a spiritual harvest. I am here and now is the time. And he, he says, I, I am eating a feast that you know not of. My food, my nourishment, my nutrients is to do the will of my father, to do the will of him who sent me. And, you know, when you look into that, that uh, phrase, I'm, I'm eating a meal that you know not of, it's, it's a meal that you are not perceiving with your senses. It's a meal that you are not aware of, that you are not paying attention to, that your senses have not been trained, your eyes have not been trained to pay attention to this feast. My food is to do the pleasure, the desire of my father. And, you know, in, in all of our lives, this is the mandate Jesus handed us. My food is to do the pleasure of the Father, to, to do what delights the Father. And, you know, so much of uh, religion wants to make that into a list of shoulds. These, these are all the things you should be doing. 
if, if you are a fiery Christian. And any meal that is full of shoulds is not fulfilling. Anything you are feasting on because you feel guilty if you don't is not a feast that Jesus was eating. And when Jesus moved about the earth, his entire motivation was, I'm going to do what the Father's doing. I'm going to say what the Father's saying. Even the words I speak are the Father speaking through me. And all across this room, what's on your plate is probably not going to look like what's on my plate. What, what the Father has set in your lap in this season, in this time, for this hour, is probably going to look different than most of the people that are right in your proximity. Because it's the primary way he refines our motive. Come and have a feast in what brings me pleasure. Come, you know, some of the things in your life that feel the most mundane right now are the most significant to the Father. And, you know, vision in the kingdom um, without a vision, without a compelling vision of the future, the people perish. And vision in the kingdom is not like vision in the world. It's not who can see the farthest and build the most beautiful thing. In the kingdom, vision is where am I seeing from? How full are my eyes of the Father? Am I close enough on his lap that I'm seeing with a vision that is full of his eyes? Am I seeing from the lap of the Father? And, you know, that, that passage in John 1, that phrase there when it talks about how intimate Jesus is and was with the Father, it says he came from the lap of the Father. That Jesus came straight from the place of most intimate connection with the Father. And in your life right now, the things that you have diminished as not spiritual or diminished on your plate as, well, you know, that's the spinach and I just eat it because it's there. That everything that is in your care in this season, if, if you will begin to view it the way Jesus viewed his life, the Father put this here. The Father entrusted me to be diligent with this. The Father trusted me with this person in front of me. The Father has trusted me to not put things on my plate because I should. Not put things on my plate because I'm afraid of what people will think if I don't. Not, you know, when Jesus moved about the earth, he was not moved by the needs of people. And it's so offensive. 
if, if you look at every story, the person that was being ministered to is the highlight. But there was also a sea of people in the same story that didn't get what they came for. And it wasn't because Jesus didn't care. He, he is the person of care. He embodies care. <laughs> he, he was not modeling for us how to be God. He came to put on human flesh to show us how to be a son of God. How to be a human on the earth with limitations, with weaknesses, with a need for God, in perfect connection to a father, in perfect connection to the Holy Spirit. And so the rudder of our life, the rudder directing the course we take in life is not the demands on the earth. The rudder of every born again believer is the king. I have a God. I have a Lord. And I only do what the Father is doing. I only say what the Father is saying. And at the end of our life, we want to stand before him and know you had the highest place. You had the highest place. You alone had the highest place in my heart. And I will bump and fall and get back up and fall again and get back up and wrestle through. But what we are growing glory to glory in is this place of oneness with the Father. This place of oneness in our need for him. And so this morning, I just, I, I felt like Jesus was, was bringing us a fresh invitation to need him. A fresh invitation to, to stand in the presence of the light of the world without shame. And, you know, as anybody who has been maturing in the Christian faith for any amount of, of years, uh, we're leaders. You're, you, are, you are a leader. People read their Christians, not their Bibles. That's a real thing. And, you know, the thing about leading people, like Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ is, uh, I remember this one time, you know, the people I were leading, was leading, uh, weren't, weren't making the best choices. And I remember just thinking, uh, it was all this self-absorption. Like, what am I doing wrong? Where am I missing it? Uh, what, what do I need to adjust? What do I need to change? And, I, I remember feeling Jesus drawing near to thoughts I was not including him in on. And, um, and he said to me, um, do you also plan to take all the credit when they're doing really well? <laughs> I thought, oh, wow. I am very self-absorbed right now. <laughs> so basically what you're saying is 
this is not about me. You're saying their life is not about me. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> yeah, their life is actually about me. And you becoming like me means laying down your life, not standing as a mediator between them and me. How much of you would you like to lay down and surrender, babe? And when you, you look at the life of Jesus, if, if you defined his beauty, his perfection, the quality of his leadership by the people he led, I'm not exactly sure how he would show up on that test. <laughs> and part of our role of being a city on a hill is lighting up what's broken, is lighting up what's not working. At the same exact time, wrapping it with mercy, wrapping it with grace. I am not the answer, but I know the one who is. I have limitations, but I know the one who doesn't. I have weaknesses, but I know the one who never gets weary. He never gets tired. He, he never has, ha, has to take a break from you. There's only one source of that kind of perfect love. And Jesus was able to be such a loving presence, illuminate, illuminating this woman's life, that her testimony was, he saw me fully. The thing I had been trying to hide and work around that was burning energy day in and day out because I was carrying around the guilt of the choices I was making in secret. He illuminated it and took it off my back and said, come worship me in spirit and in truth. Worshiping in spirit and in truth means I come with my need for the Holy Spirit to be a worshiper. I come with my need for the Holy Spirit to worship in honesty, in reality, in my honest need for him. And, and this morning, there is a fresh invitation to need a redeemer, to need a father like that, to need the Holy Spirit to do the thing we were born and created to do. And the space right now between you and the harvest that's been prophesied over your life is Jesus. Jesus is standing in the space saying, I'm here. The wait is over. I, who am speaking to you, am he. And when we feel a gap in what has been promised and where we're standing in our truth, the question is not who are you going to be in that gap? The question is who are you going to search out 
the living God to be for you in that gap? What is the nature of Jesus that you have yet to discover in this place? And she did not know who she was speaking to. She did not know that her life was about to be flipped upside down. And so let's just all stand up this morning. I want to invite the ministry team up. And, and we, we just want, if the ministry team just wants to come right now, I, I just want to invite you this morning I felt specifically, if you have been feeling guilty, you have felt guilt. I, I just, I, I want to say, your guilt is an invitation to come to Jesus. The goal is not to get rid of your guilt. The goal is to bring your guilt to the person of Jesus. So much so that the thing you get, feel guilty for becomes your testimony that sets a city free to see him. And if our goal is to get rid of the guilt, we will diminish the beauty of holiness. And so this morning, we just want to serve you. We're opening up this altar. You can just come spend time just with Jesus. You can come get prayer. If you've never met Jesus, John's over here and he would love to introduce you to him. Okay. So, um, let's just end with this one song. You guys ready? Thank you for listening to the Sermon of the Week. To stay connected with Bethel Atlanta, visit www.bethelatlanta.com.